Scripture in this afternoon will be from Psalm 119, verses 33 and 34. Psalm 119, verses 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Good to be with you again. I probably don't need this microphone with the acoustics in here, but um, I usually have a pretty strong voice. We're going to look at the harmony of the scriptures this evening, this afternoon. This is uh, one of several sermons that I have put together on understanding the Bible, how to understand the Bible. And there are many methods, there are many, actually there's laws that we've got to abide by, and I think I've been through this before uh, here. There's the law of context. As a matter of fact, there's one preacher that I know of uh, that, that likes to say that there's three laws or rules, if you will, in Bible interpretation, and they are context, context, and context. Well, there are other rules that we must abide by, there are the harmony of the scriptures, the harmony and unity of the scriptures. Scripture, if it is God's word, does not contradict itself. Uh, it uh, must be unified. There are the, the rules, if you will, of uh, um, types and shadows. Uh, there are uh, the rules of... Um, how to understand figurative language. At any rate, we're going to look at one of those rules this evening. And the scripture reading, let's see if I can figure this thing out. Nope. There we go. You got to forgive me. I'm i got to be retaught every time I come over here. <clears throat> One of the basic things that we need to understand as we open our Bibles, as we try to understand God's will for us, is that, number one, it is going to be that which judges us in the last day. John 12, 48, Jesus said, the words that I speak to you will judge you in the last day. But it is always a wonderful thing if we would, before we get into a study, read this prayer that was just read to us in Psalm 119, in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. And so, uh, as we begin this, I want to define harmony. I'm going to do so from Webster's Dictionary. Uh, the noun harmony means agreement, accord. The adjective uh, would be harmonious. 
and that definition is marked by agreement in feeling, attitude, or action. And I want to say that the Bible does not teach one man one thing and another man something else. And this is kind of what we have in the sectarian world of the Christian religion today when it is uh, considered a good thing to have unity and diversity. Uh, you believe the way you want to believe and I'll believe the way I want to believe and we'll be in fellowship with one another. Uh, I don't believe the Bible teaches anything like that. Uh, different beliefs that contradict one another cannot both be right. One can be right or they can both be wrong. And when you when you have this attitude, there's no way in the world that you're ever going to come to a conclusion of what is absolute truth. And I think that's probably one of the, the reasons why all of this takes place. Nobody wants to admit that there is such a thing as absolute truth. This becomes a myth when we have uh, you believe your way and I'll believe my way. If the Bible contradicts itself, it is useless to us. It's useless as a guide to truth. It, uh, it most definitely cannot be the word of God because it's marked by confusion. And the Bible itself says that God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. I want to begin by stating that the Bible is harmonious. And if, if you want to get the big picture of the Bible, usually when people pick up a book, they will take this, their book and they will kind of thumb through it to get a general idea. Uh, they'll read the first part, the last part, maybe some in the middle, go through the table of contents. The, the Bible... What am I doing here? I'm getting ahead of myself. You're going to have to excuse me. I'm, yes, I am getting ahead of myself. Let's define the principle from Amos chapter 3 and in verse 3. Can two be agreed? Can two walk together lest they be agreed? Amos 3 and verse 3. Let's look at this from a secular standpoint. The faithfulness of the marriage bed. Can two people agree if one of them the man or the woman believes in the faithfulness and the sanctity of the marriage bed while the other partner believes in unity and diversity? That's never going to happen, is it? You're never going to be agreed. You're never going to have harmony. What about the, the Christian and the Muslim? They both believe in Jesus. The Christian believes that Jesus 
is Emmanuel, God with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christian believes that Jesus is God, whereas the Muslim believes that Jesus was just a prophet and a good man, and yet that's totally impossible. That You cannot harmonize that because Jesus said that he was the Son of God, that he was God before Abraham was, I am, Jesus said of himself. And therefore, if that's not true, then he is a liar. And the Muslim cannot say that Jesus was a good man. Did the apostles teach one thing to one church? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And then turn around and teach something different to another church? If they did, that would explain all the confusion that we do have today in the Christian, uh, the Christian world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 17, for this reason, Paul writes, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul did not teach one thing in one church and something else in another church. He taught the same thing in every church he established, in every church that he uh, went back to visit. I want to consider what Peter said about himself and uh, the Apostle Paul's teaching. He, he says that they were agreed. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 15. And here the, the context is uh, stated in verse 15, uh, the long-suffering of our Lord. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as is also, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. In Acts chapter 2, and in verse 42, we find Luke writing about the early church that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And in so doing, everyone could hear the same teaching, everyone could believe the same doctrine that was taught, and they could all agree and they could all be in fellowship with one another. And this is a desirable thing. Not only is this a desirable thing, this is a commanded uh, a commandment from the Lord, the Lord's apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse 10, where he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, 
but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And we find the same thought in the Philippian letter, in Philippians 2, and beginning in verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, and let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, and he goes on. I want to say that <clears throat> the Bible is harmonious in the person of Jesus Christ. And I've, for some reason, these slides got turned around sideways. We're going to go through it anyway. Uh, consider this. The Old Testament looks forward to Christ. And we all know this. It looks forward to Christ through the, uh, through the prophecies. Uh, you cannot miss when you read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and then go and read the four gospel accounts, especially towards the end of each gospel where the crucifixion is described to us. And you, you can't help but see Christ in these prophecies, over 300 of them. We have um, the gospel accounts. They give us the teaching of Jesus, some of it, we don't have it all. We have what we need. We have the life of Christ from his birth. And then from age 33 on, or 30 years of age on, we have his ministry that lasted three years. And ending up, it all looks forward to the cross. It's where the gospels lead us. And from Acts to Revelation, we have... Uh, the Bible teaching us how to get along in this life, how to treat my wife, how should I uh, treat my boss, how should I treat my employees if I'm the boss. It teaches us how to get to heaven. The whole Bible focuses on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if that's true, then every verse has got to be harmonious with, with this main theme. Let's see where I'm at now. All right. Let's, let's look at this idea of harmony as we uh, look at Acts chapter 15. There was a problem that had developed in the church. There were some who had been teaching that the Gentiles had to become Jews in order to be saved. Verse 1, there were certain men that came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then dropping down to verse 5, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up 
saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Well, was this true? Was this true? Well, let's read on in verse 6. It's a little lengthy, but I'm going to read it anyway. And there's three points I want to make from it. Now, the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how mighty miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. And I know God to God, who from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God. And he goes on. Now, I want to back up. I want to start from, from James, what James said. And let's notice what he, what he did say. Um, he quotes scripture. He quotes a, a very plain, expressed statement. Even all Gentiles who are called by my name. He quotes Amos. Amos chapter 9 and verses 11 through 12. And Something else I want to do, not only to show that the, there was harmony with the church in Jerusalem as they figured out this problem, but how did they figure this problem out? They're going to use three different methods that you hear all the time, at least we do here. How do we receive authority? How do we get to a knowledge of the truth? How can we tell uh, when we have absolute truth. One of the ways is by an express statement or a direct command, is it not? And that's what we have here with James. As we go on and look uh, a little further at chapter or verse 12 again, let's, let's hear again what Paul said. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among 
the Gentiles. Notice Paul's argument. I went out and I preached the gospel. God was working with me with miracles to confirm the word that I preached. Therefore, God must have been okay with what I was preaching. And not one time did Paul preach that Gentiles had to become Jews. As a matter of fact, he preached just the opposite. And God kept working with him through miracles. And so Paul's inference there, necessarily so, was that what he was doing was pleasing to God. And then going a little further, Peter's example in Acts chapter 10, that's where they began. Peter saw the sheet coming down from heaven. All those animals on it that were unclean and voice came from heaven and told Peter, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, Not so, Lord. Nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. God told Peter, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. The reference there was to the Gentiles that he was supposed to go preach to. He preached to Cornelius and his family. And they believed. And as as Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell down upon Cornelius and his household, which was God's approval that what Peter was doing was acceptable in his sight. And so we have an example by an apostle, an approved apostolic example on how to figure out this problem of which uh, the apostles already knew the answer. They just had to convince the church. And so all three of these testimonies in Acts 15, they all agreed. They all agreed. Uh, they were har- harmonious with one another. It was harmonious with Scripture. And there was agreement between the brethren. Let's look at harmony in practice. <clears throat> and you might want to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And what I want to do is define the one of the sectarian uh, definitions of predestination and election. These are Bible words. It's a Calvinist doctrine that says, and they call it unconditional election, And it depends upon the creed book that you read as to the distinct wording of the doctrine. But this is basically what it says, that God, before the foundation of the world, chose some for election and the rest for damnation. Most of us understand what they teach. And I want to look at one of the verses where they go to prove their doctrine. And it's in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I'll be honest with you, I, uh, I came out of uh, denominationalism, which this was taught, and I had a hard time figuring out what this really means. This is one of Paul's more difficult passages. But uh, when you think about it, if this doctrine is true, there is no amount of faith on my part, there is no amount of repentance, sorrow for my past sins, that I can ever come up with that would change my situation. If I am elected, if I am predestined to hell, then there is nothing I can do about it. This is what this doctrine teaches. Number one, it seems a little unfair. Um, it most definitely eliminates free will. What if... What if there are very plain, very hard to misunderstand, as a matter of fact, you have to have educated help to misunderstand these plain scriptures. What if there are scriptures so plain that you cannot misunderstand them that contradicts this doctrine? If you will, turn to 2 Peter. And in chapter 3, in verse 9, is one such passage. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, it makes totally no sense whatsoever if the Lord has, before the foundation of the world, predetermined that some were, were going to be in hell and some were going to be in heaven, before they were ever born, and yet at the same time the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, makes no sense, does it? First Timothy in chapter 2 and in verse 4, speaking of God, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's look at, uh, in just a minute, if scripture seems to contradict, and by the way, you will run across this, uh, you will think that this is a contradiction. But again, the Bible does not contradict. God does not teach one thing over here in one book and then something else completely different in another book. Oh, concerning this doctrine of, of unconditional election, I want to notice some more 
inconsistency. It's totally out of harmony, number one, with the loving God. Um, John 3.16, everybody knows this verse. For God so loved the world that he elected some for hell and others for heaven. It's not what it says, but that's exactly what it should say if the doctrine of unconditional election is true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed would have eternal life is what it says. But that's, this, their doctrine is totally out of uh, harmony with this. Why did God send Noah to preach? Some will say, well, I didn't know Noah was a preacher. Second Peter in chapter 2 and in verse 5 calls uh, Noah a preacher of righteousness. And we can read in Genesis chapter 6 and in verse 3 that God told Noah that he would not be with man. He would not uh, uh, allow, allow man to be on the earth forever. He had given him 120 years before he was going to destroy the, the earth with a flood. And therefore we deduce from that that Peter preached during the whole time that he built the ark. Why would God send a preacher if everything had already been made up, if everything was predestined and predetermined? And why should we preach Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 when they ask the question, well, what should I do? And we go to this verse. And the first thing we see Peter saying is repent. If the end is already made up, there's no need to repent. Another law for interpretation is context. And I want to turn back to Ephesians in chapter 1. And I want to pick up in verse 9. Let's get the context of what Paul has been saying here. He, he is talking about the spiritual blessings that are in Christ, the forgiveness of sins, uh, the hope of heaven. In verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Again, some of Paul's more difficult statements that he makes. I want you to notice the context. Verse 10, uh, he talks about gathering together in one. Uh, verse 12, he talks about those who first trusted, probably speaking of the apostles 
and the early church, perhaps those in Acts chapter 2. Uh, verse 13 talks of others who trusted, probably the Ephesian brethren. And then in verse 14, he talks about the purchased possession. Look at it real close. The context speaks of groups of people, not individuals. In the context, he speaks of the church universal. And so let's harmonize the scriptures. What if God decided before the foundation of the world that all those, whoever would believe in him and who would be obedient to him would receive a blessing, and all of those who did not believe in him or did not obey him would receive a curse. What if that were true? And so whoever falls into the group or the category uh, who were uh, in the obedient group, then these would be the ones that were predestined for adoption as sons, as it says in verse 5. What if God sent prophets and prophets to try to bring the people back to him? And he did, many of them. And he still sends out preachers today. And that puts the burden on us. We choose which group to be in. The devil doesn't force us. God doesn't force us. He has not made up his mind. It's up to us. And this harmonizes with the scripture and the love of God. What about you this evening? I guess I'll leave that up there. The lesson is yours. Which group do you belong in? Which group do you want to belong in? That's an easy question. That's a no-brainer. Be obedient to God. Trust in him. He's made provisions to save us from our sin, from ourselves, actually. If you believe that Jesus is his son, and it takes a little bit of study in the Bible to figure that out, and you need to do that. You need to make up your mind one way or another. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? All the evidence is there. All you got to do is study it, and you'll come up with one conclusion that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe that, and you believe that you have sin in your life that you need to get rid of, do something about it. Do something now. We're not promised tomorrow. We uh, live in a world where it's very uncertain. This life is very short. And uh, we need to be right. We need to be ready. And when God decides to take it all out, as he did one time, if you need to have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism, come forward. Confess him as your Lord and Savior. We can help you. If, you. if you're a Christian and you just need help getting back on track, we can do that as well. Come forward while we stand and sing.